Hey guys, it's Alana from AJ's Creative Corner, my creative writing blog where I like to talk about all types of writing, but especially poetry and short fiction stories. So today I'm going to talk, I'm going to keep with the theme of last week's episode where I kind of talk about a current event uh, and relate it back to writing, uh, any type of writing, whether it's fiction, poetry, nonfiction. I'm keeping this podcast pretty open for other writers of any genre. And unfortunately, (laughs) I don't want to talk about today's topic, but we have to talk about today's topic. And actually what happened is I was brainstorming a bunch of ideas to talk about, and one of them was uh, diversity and inclusion in the author space. So not just, I was going to do one episode about diversity and inclusion in the author space and then one episode about diversity and inclusion in books itself, characters, representation, how do you write um, a more diverse character correctly. And then another one that I want to do, which I'll save it for next week, was about um, like toxic romantic relationships and how they've become really popular in works like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. And I was going to save this one till next week. So I had a little more time to research because I wanted to implement statistics. But after hearing about a current event, I decided that I did as much research as I could. I have been staying up, reading as many articles as I can because I really want to come at this issue about the lack of diversity and inclusion in the author space today. I want to tell you what's going on currently, what event happened, what kind of history we see, where we have seen a lack of diversity and inclusion, blatant racism play out in literature. I want to come at you with some statistics, and then I want to give you some suggestions for how all of us can do better, whether you're a writer or a reader or a publisher, whether no matter what like position you have in this industry, how you can improve. Because I think when we bring up issues, we should have a call to action. So at the end, I am going to give you guys a call to action and things that you can do and things that you can think about from now on. Okay, so I keep talking about a current controversy. What is it? So I follow an Instagram account. I want to give full credit. It's called at teen underscore writing underscore 101. And uh, the creator of this account made a post called the Emily Duncan Controversy. So (laughs) this is where we get into it. So I'm going to talk about this purely factually. This isn't to bash anyone. This isn't to, you know, like talk about drama or anything like that. But it's something that needs to be addressed. We need to talk about and educate ourselves about. So who is Emily Duncan? Emily Duncan is the author of a book called Wicked Saints. But so what this controversy is, Emily Duncan was on a private Slack channel with other authors. So the other authors were Rory Power, the author of Wilder Girls, Claire Weens, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and Christine Lynn Herman. And this group of people uh, were caught bullying and harassing POC authors, so people of color, um, Asian authors, more specifically in this instant, on a private Slack channel, making fun of authors who didn't have agents and using anti-Asian racism. They called a um, Asian author ugly 
and basically were talking really bad about her book because she came out with a book that had a similar theme to um, Emily Duncan, and they were going to release in the same week. Yo, that's the name of the game. <laughs> like, that's publishing. That's, you know, life. We're, some of us are going to have similar ideas. That's the game. That's the way the publishing world works. If you can't get used to it, that's not the job for you. But I digress. That <laughs> that part made me a little bit heated. But so um, another author, an author you should actually support, named Rin Chupeco. So sorry if I pronounce that wrong. I'm really trying um, for all of these names. Spoke out on Twitter, and you can still see the tweets I did a couple days ago. Um, about the anti-Asian racism, calling these authors out, using their names, which are 100% justified. Um, and then after, you know, Rin kind of broke the barrier, other authors started coming forward. And an officer, officer an author <laughs> named Hafsa uh, Faisal, so sorry if I pronounced that wrong, um, is the author of We Hunt the Flame which is a super popular book. I know I've heard it and I think read it. And um, to talk about their experiencing in the writing industry and the racism that they faced and how these author cliques um, made them feel very uncomfortable in the writing space, which is so sad because so many people talk about how writing is a place like a lot of us felt left out or alienated or struggling with mental illness. Like almost every single author says that. Then to just hear about like, the petty, unnecessary drama that goes on, and then the awful, unexcusable racism that goes on. It's just really disheartening. Um, so, yeah, they called an Asian author ugly on Slack. That's what happened. If you look up this issue, um, sorry, this controversy, you won't find a lot of information. So, honestly, this Instagram post is your best bet because they did an awesome job at compiling all the details. But, um so also, as a side note, Emily Duncan's book, Wicked Saints, has been accused of itself before this, having anti-Asian racism, xenophobia, and an inherently anti-Semitic plot. So I, just to offer the other side and be completely, will try to be unbiased, um, Emily Duncan did uh, tweet an apology out. I'm not going to read it, to be honest, uh, but I will summarize it for you. She admitted her actions were racist. She said they were inexcusable. She did apologize for it. Uh, she said she understands people do not forgive her. And then um, she said that she wants to apologize to the people that she affected directly. And here's the thing. I genuinely believe, well, okay, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> and I genuinely believe that she is sorry. Um, one the most important thing to remember is it's not our place to accept this apology. It's the people that were affected. Um, so that's the number one thing. But also, just because someone is sorry and does apologize, that doesn't mean that they should be met with immediate, you know, like, oh, it's okay. Accountability needs to be taken for these actions. And this action, this controversy that she did just exposes a greater problem in the industry. And so... I mean, me personally, I will not be following any of her accounts. I will not be buying any of her books. After this is over, I won't be talking about her again. 
Um, and I don't owe you that. Even if you come forward and you make a change, you apologize, you meant it, you know, I'm not going to harass you. I'm not going to go out of my way to say anything like mean or nasty. That's not acceptable at all. But I don't owe you my support. So I think it's important to, you know, I don't think she's unforgivable. I think she absolutely can make a change and be sorry. Um, I will not be supporting her work. That's me personally. That's the stance I'm going to take because I think when you take away uh, the power that she abused, which is her power as an author, platform as an author, when you take that away for a little bit, that's the biggest wake-up call you can get. That's how you're going to take accountability because you need to suffer some sort of consequence for your action, but it's not permanent. It's not forever necessarily um, if you improve. So yeah, I want to point out that she apologized. I want to point out it's not anyone else's place to accept it. Um, but I want to also point out just because someone apologizes, you know, doesn't mean they're automatically in the clear. They still have some work they need to do. Let's put it that way. So the creator of this Instagram post where I was reading about this controversy ends it by saying, what can you do? So I just want to repeat some of the things that you can do because they did an amazing job at this post. So some of the things that you can do is buy books by POC authors. Not only buy the books, read the books, leave reviews, suggest them to your friends. If I see a lot of people on Instagram doing book reviews, do like, uh, I know in February when it was Black History Month, a lot of people were only reviewing um, books by Black authors. That's just one example. Those are things that you can do. Not even just buying the book. That is awesome. But if you can do even more, like leaving a positive review, that's amazing. And uh, suggest them to your friends whenever it comes up. And so the other thing that this author says you can do is do not support the authors involved. And I agree. And I want to point out once again, it was not just Emily Duncan. It's also Rory Power, the author of The Wilder Girls. It was Claire Weens. I might be saying that wrong. And it was Christine Lynn Herman. And I haven't looked to see if those people apologized. Still, once again, everybody needs to take accountability. Everyone needs a timeout. Everyone has to face a consequence. So this isn't just about Emily Duncan. Um, so if you have to buy their books for something, I don't know, like a book club or a class or something, buy them secondhand if you can. Of course, you know, it's not the end of the world. If you have to do something, you have to do something. But these are some great suggestions. Um, and examine your own prejudice, which is, that's where we get into this. So that's really like, I was already, I knew I was going to do a podcast about diversity and inclusion. But I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to wait a few weeks, kind of get all my ducks in a row. But this is what really kind of kicked me into gear. If you know me, you know how seriously I take diversity and inclusion as a biracial, black and white female. This is diversity and inclusion is everything to me. It is so important. And it's so important not just from the standpoint of like morality and how I feel, even though that is important. Also, the statistics that back it. But we'll get into that later. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so that's... That's where we're going to get into. So, all right, let's get into it and let's talk about why I decided to make this podcast. So this is the number one question. As soon as I heard this, I asked myself, where else have we seen the issue of racism or just prejudice in general and author's work? Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> uh, 
not a fan. I'll put that out there. I read, I loved the Twilight series when they came out. I loved, I think it was The Host. I, I, I adored that book. Um, as I grew older and really started to unpack and, you know, learn more and grow in the world, I just realized how problematic so many things were. So, um, yeah, full disclosure, I'm a little biased. I'm not a fan of Stephanie Myers. Um, so I want to go into a few reasons why the Twilight series are problematic and why it has to do with diversity and inclusion. Because, oh my God, the list goes on and on and on. So, okay, number one. <laughs> so in the movie, obviously, the cast was not diverse. And she did have a role in that. So that's why I'm going to bring it up. I understand the movie and the book are two separate things. But Stephanie Meyer was on set and she did have a role in talking to the characters and getting to be there and deciding who got casted. So I am going to talk about it because I read an interview on popculture.com with Katherine Hardwick, who was the director of the first Twilight movie, describing her experience with Stephanie Meyer. And she says that um, she was so excited and she was telling Stephanie Meyer that like she envisioned a Japanese character for I think like Alice and a person like all types of different races, all types of different ethnicities. And she was super excited to play around with it. And Stephanie Meyer told her that uh, she wrote them all to have, quote, pale, glistening skin, end quote. So she had a vision for how they all had to look, aka they all had to be white. Like, let's not beat around the bush. Let's not try to make it sound cute. Let's not make excuses. That's what that's what this means. But the director made, said that she convinced her to cast um, a black man. I think his name is Eddie Gathegi. I so butchered that. So sorry. As Laurent because he was one of the, quote, antagonistic antagonistic vampires. So sorry, I struggle with that word. Please don't hate me. Um, I think you can see the problem with that. <laughs> it's not acceptable. You're not all of a sudden not racist or not doing something wrong when you cast a black person, because why are you casting the only black person there as the villain? Why are you are you like, oh, okay, that clicks, that makes sense. And that goes for anybody. In any book, in any movie, if you are constantly casting a black person, a darker-skinned person, a person of color as the villain, that is a sign right there. You might need to sit down and reassess your beliefs. Not saying you can never write a person of color to be a villain, but one, if it starts to become a pattern, or two, if that is the only person of color that you envision in your entire book, your entire movie is the villain, yeah, I'm sorry. You got to reassess. That's unacceptable. So we'll move on <laughs> because there's more with Stephanie Meyer. Of course there is. So she had a very inaccurate portrayal of the Quillette tribe. I'm so sorry once again. Uh, that Sorry, it's just been a minute and I told, since I've watched a stupid movie and I totally forgot to look up um, how to say this name. But so the tribe in her book, so the tribe that the character Jacob Black was in. And she had an inaccurate portrayal, and she monetized off of this. So I really want you guys, after this, if you have time, and I'm going to take all the links to the things that I'm mentioning and put them in the description for this podcast. If you're watching this on AJ's Creative Corner, my blog, um, and not on one of the platforms I put my podcast on, I'll disclose it there too. I will disclose these links everywhere. I'll even try to have them on my Instagram 
by the end of the week. I have a lot going on, but these links will make it because it's so important. So there's an essay called, quote, Race Through Bella's Eyes, Contending Racial Depictions in the New Moon and Eclipse, end quote, by Sam Reamer. Once again, so sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, This is an amazing essay that details so many of the issues, and I'm going to go into just a few of them and add something that I actually didn't see in there, but I've seen on um, other like discussion forums that I thought was so important to add that came from the perspective of Native Americans, because I'm not Native American. I have, you know what I mean, no experience, no right to speak about issues that I haven't gone through, but I will help, you know, use my privilege to spread a message to help other people see why things like Twilight are so harmful. Okay, so Stephanie Meyer creates a civilized white versus savage Native American stereotype by constantly convincing the reader to empathize with Edward and then make Jacob seem like the one who needs to change his mind. Oh my God, when I read this, because I've read this essay before, but to read it again, like as I get older and older, oh my God, it's so insane because Jacob is this quote unquote monster, which no, I don't know. I don't see it that way. They use a native tradition to make it seem like this horrific thing, like this crime and this supernatural monster, just like Edward is a monster, which, you know, it's not Jacob's fault that he's a monster. It's not Edward's fault that he's a monster in the context of the book. But I realized, like, why is the messaging, and you can say what you want to, but no, there's an intentional message that Stephanie Meyer writes that wants you to side with Bella. And you're like relieved when Jacob finally agrees. You're like, oh my God, especially this book was read by younger girls. I read this when I was in middle school, when I was in the sixth and seventh grade. And so I read all of them and watched all of the movies at this point. And so you're like, oh my God. I wish that Jacob would change his mind and just like shut up and agree with Bella and Edward. And then you look at it and you're like, oh my God, (laughs) he was the only person with common sense, like him and Charlie. (laughs) But it's insane because they're both quote unquote monsters, but why is Edward so mysterious and exotic and romanticized and wonderful, but somehow the werewolves are just these monsters that these poor vampires have to fight through for love? Like, what? (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) Moving on. Another specific example of the quote-unquote savagery is when Emily has scars because Sam spun out of control one day and she was too close to him. Yet, here we go, another parallel. Bella and Edward are romanticized and encouraged by the author, by the readers, by the supporting characters, meaning his family, the Cullen family, because they, what, they have this perceived quote-unquote self-control like, especially if you read uh, the newest book, Midnight Sun, couldn't get through it. That was horrific. I don't know why I tried. Um, they, oh my God, like Edward's like, I might spin out of control. Like, what if I kill her? And Emma's like, yo, we've all made mistakes. Like if it happens, we'll just have to move again. Why is that acceptable? Why is that okay? Why is that even like kind of funny the way she writes it? Yeah, Emily is supposed to be like, you see what happens when you get too close to you know, uh, one of the Native Americans, you see what happens when you get too close to a werewolf, they just can't control themselves. Neither can the vampire. So why is it so heavily biased? Why is our perception of it so heavily skewed? It doesn't make any sense. And if you're like, I've never read Twilight, 
girl, what is this? I'm so sorry. Hang in there. I have a lot more examples coming. I know this book is literally insane. Doesn't make any sense, but just hang in here with me. Um, oh my God. And the constant objectification of Native American men, which thankfully that's sarcasm. They brought it into the movie. It wasn't just in the book. So we got to see it everywhere. Thank you, Stephanie Meyer. We really needed that. So there's a literal quote said about Jacob where it says, doesn't he ever wear a shirt? Which like, haha, oh my God, I remembered that line during the movie. It's so funny. No, but like Stephanie, why doesn't he? <laughs> like, why is he constantly shirtless? Why are all the Native American men so like exotic and beautiful? Um, I We can have a whole chat as from a biracial female to all of you about fetishization later on. There's a difference between admiring someone's beauty and completely objectifying them and fetishizing them for their race and their quote-unquote exotic characteristics um, that just basically mean not white and not what you're used to and how offensive and harmful that is. If I seem irritated, I am, but I also am trying to be like objective and I am so excited to finally just get all this information in one place and share it with you so maybe someone else can see like, oh... I didn't realize it before. It wasn't intentional. But now that I know this stuff, I can't unsee it. And I'll do better in the books that I consume in the future. Okay. So there's that. Okay. Then here's the thing that I wanted to mention. Cutting his hair. So I'm when I say him, I'm talking about Jacob Black. I'm using him mostly as an example. But um, so basically when a werewolf becomes quote unquote mature, which honestly mature is kind of like the same as civilized in the context that she's creating, the werewolves will cut their hair. Um, sorry, not really like, you know, uh, the people in this wolf tribe. It's just such, it sounds insane now that I'm saying the plot of this book out loud. So I'm having trouble and it's been a while uh, since I read it. So I forgot a lot of the names, but so do you know, <laughs> you have to know how significant and how sacred, how meaningful long hair is to Native Americans, especially, well, not especially, but including Native American men. And I just point out Native American men because I know, like, you know, in America and, like, this culture that we've brought here and this toxic masculinity, like, long hair is something that, you know, when I grew up, men were supposed to be embarrassed of it. And Native American culture is completely different. And honestly, once again, we should take a page out of someone else's book. Um, because, it, and it means so much to them, and each tribe has their own meanings for things, so I'm not going to put all of Native Americans under one blanket statement and tell you that it means one thing for all of them. I think that we all need to realize how many tribes are out there, how many different, you know, like, rituals and customs and beliefs are out there, and not put anyone, everyone under, under this blanket statement, but... I just, that really annoyed me that you're supposed to go like, oh, now Jacob's mature. Oh, now he's hot. Now that he cut all of his hair off. Um, no, that just seems culturally disrespectful. It doesn't make any sense. I didn't see a point of it at all. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> that one really made me angry. <laughs> so that's that. I'm going to leave Stephanie Meyer alone before I get heated. And we're going to talk about what else have we seen. Let's talk about, and let's you know, kind of transition out of racial diversity into, I mean, yeah, into ra out of racial prejudice into other types of prejudice. So I'm going to use two examples from our other favorite author, author J.K. Rowling.
JK. <laughs> Just kidding. She's not my favorite. Um, but I, I, of course, I love the Harry Potter, Harry Potter. I could not talk today. Series growing up. I read them in elementary school. I was very much a nerd and watched all of the movies. Loved it so much. And it's only as an adult that I come back, back and I realize some of the issues and the issues that JK Rowling all by herself has absolutely blown up on Twitter. So we'll start with Hermione's Hermione, Hermione, Hermione's character description. Oh my god, this is a long one. So by JK Rowling in the Harry Potter series described um sorry. So okay, yeah, so the description of Hermione describes her to have bushy brown hair and describes her features to be features that could be on a black person, on an African-American person. They don't have to be on a white person. There were so, like, there was so much racial ambiguity that you could have done with this. I personally, in my opinion, think that the description perfectly fit a black character. But even, like, if I take race out of it and I try, it's just – so Emma Watson, right, when she was a kid, this is not her fault. This is not hate on Emma Watson. She got cast in this role as a kid, so let's not, you know, throw unnecessary hate towards her. This isn't her fault. But when she got cast in the first movie, I think the first two at least, Hermione had bushy brown hair. But as Hermione gets older, Emma Watson – it's undeniable that her character becomes more sexualized. And so her hair all of a sudden just is completely flat and beautiful and gorgeous all the time. And it's no longer bushy. And to me, that kind of implies for some reason that bushy brown hair is unattractive because when she becomes more attractive and she looks beautiful at the dance and stuff like that and people want to date her, all of a sudden her hair is, you know, smooth, silky, straight. And that's the thing. It's like, you might be hearing that thinking, Alana, that's a stretch, but it's not because racism isn't just when someone like abruptly says something obviously racist to your face. Racism is systematic. So it's, we might not even realize that we're doing it. We might not realize that we're thinking this way. We may not, may not even realize that we're excluding somebody, but we are. And it's our job to see how deeply rooted it is in our day-to-day lives. And it's our job to recognize it. It's our job to fix it, especially when we're an author, especially when we're a director, especially when we're a producer, when we're somewhere that's in charge of taking this awesome movie, taking this message, and putting it out to millions and millions of people. We have a responsibility. And in my opinion, like books like Twilight, movies like Twilight, you failed your responsibility. And Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling specifically, you failed your responsibility because I'm going to move on to my next example for J.K. Rowling, which we all know, the transphobia, the absolute horrific transphobia that I'm so embarrassed and saddened to see that this author tries to mask as feminism. That is not feminism. As a feminist and a lifelong trans ally, I always will be. So if I say something that you don't like or you think is incorrect or you think I need to educate myself more, please tell me and I will do so. Uh, But it was so heartbreaking to see, like once again, so many of us who felt like outcast growing up or turned to books for comfort or just really like found this community in the Harry Potter world, as nerdy as that sounds, like it meant a lot to so many of us. And to see 
transgender people, especially um, male to female transgender people specifically. I'm only mentioning that because that's where her hate <laughs> seems to go the most towards, unfortunately. Um, just have their childhood ripped away. They had, they were completely, you know, deprived of something that from someone that we all used to look up to. I know a lot of us did and her legacy is forever shattered to me. I will never buy another book of hers. I will never follow her. I will never support her. I will never recommend her. I have a hard time even watching Harry Potter now. If you're my friend, you're listening to this. I know you still love it, but I can't. <laughs> um, I never will. It's ruined for me. And that goes into it's not just racial diversity and inclusion that we're lacking. It goes into everything. It goes into sexual orientation. It goes into gender identity. It goes into whether you're abled or you're disabled. It it goes everywhere, and we're failing in every single department. We are failing from the author side and how we include each other in the conversation. We are failing in the characters that we write and conversations that we refuse to have. We are failing, and just because we're improving slowly, bit by bit, I expect more from us because we, as a society, I really think that we've done so much work in the past few years. At this point, there is no excuse. We need to do better. So. Um, and I just want to show, like, you know, instances of where we have seen this prejudice in the author space and in literature so that as I continue this podcast, no one can say, oh, it doesn't exist or, oh, you're exaggerating because I'm not. And not only that, but these um, these instances of prejudice and racism are in some of the most popular, successful books from some of the richest authors, like, in history isn't that so sad? And like, they're still rich. They put out a book right now. They'd be doing, you know, they'd get even richer. Like it would do well, it would perform well for sure. And so it's just like, are you kidding me? (laughs) This is so disheartening to see. And we need to be so much more vocal about it than we are. So now I'm going to get into what does all this mean? Why is it important? And for that, I want to read you some statistics. So I graduated from college in 2019 with a sociology major. When I talk about social issues like this, I understand the absolute need for them to be backed up by science, by data, by statistics, and they are. And whether or not you want to seek them out or look for them, they exist. So today I'm going to bring the research to you. I'm going to bring just a few statistics uh, to you. And... um, And let's go over it together. Let's talk about why all this matters. And let's talk about our call to action. What are we going to do different? So I'm getting heated, but I'm good. So a 2019 report on diversity in children's and young adult literature. There's a survey released by the Cooperative Children's Book Center, the CCBC, um, that so they read... 3,716 books. Well, they surveyed these book, this many books. And here were the percentages of each main character's like racial group. So 11.9% of these character of the main characters in this book were black. Uh 1% was first or native nations. 8.7% was Asian or Asian American. 5.3% was Latinx. 0.05% was Pacific Islander. was white. Uh, And I'm going to offer you a couple more statistics. 3.1% was from the LGBTQIAP um, 
group, and then 3.4% of the characters had a disability. The main characters had a disability. So these statistics, uh, I don't have them right here in front of me from the year before that, but these statistics did improve slightly from the year before that. However, just because something improves does not mean we get complacent. does not mean we get satisfied. I see a lot of people saying like, yeah, like racism is still here and it's still an issue, but we're so much better now. We are, but that's not good enough. We don't get complacent. We hold ourselves to a higher standard. We hold ourselves accountable and it is not acceptable to lay down and just accept that, oh, we did a little bit better. So now we're done. No, <laughs> I'm not going to let myself get off that easy. I'm not going to let you guys get off that easy. We owe it to ourselves to hold ourselves accountable and hold ourselves to a higher standard. So don't even come with that argument. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to give you another statistic. The 2018 State of Diversity in Romance Publishing found that for every 100 books published by the leading romance publishers in 2018, only 7.7% were written by people of color. 79% of the overall publishing industry, including executives, sales, marketing, and reviewers, were white. In a 2015 study by Lee and Lowe, which is the largest multicultural children's book publisher in the country, and additional statistics to the study, 89% were heterosexual, 96% were non-disabled, and 99% were cisgendered. So even if these statistics that I included are from a few years ago, one, they're still, um, I did look up until this year, 2020 was kind of a bad year for statistics because so many things changed with the pandemic, book sales were affected, uh, authors were out of jobs, there was kind of a panic. So I can't really rely on the statistics and uh, the people who do these studies said so themselves. So I didn't want to include um, basically an outlier and act like that's the norm because it's not. And also, um, they are pretty indicative of the years before and the years after it. And I did that research to make sure that I wasn't coming here with outdated information. And these were the best representations that I could find. Um but I am so not opposed to looking at even more statistics and coming back next time. I just needed to condense this all in less than an hour. So I want to leave you with those statistics for now. We'll work with those for this podcast. So what does this tell us? <laughs> what issues are there? Why is this a problem? Because not only is there a lack of diversity, not just racial diversity, like we've talked about diversity from gender identity to sexual orientation to whether you're abled or disabled, in the main characters, the material that we give for kids and teenagers to consume, where there's a major, major lack of representation. Not only that, but the people, the authors who are writing these books are well represented. That even the publishing industry is not a good representation of even like the world statistics. Like they don't represent the majority of the population. It's insane. There needs to be more representation in, on every single scale, whether it's on the author side or whether it's about the characters that we're writing in the books. It is ridiculous how big this issue has gotten and the fact that I don't really hear a lot of it um, unless it's like smaller creators on my Instagram who um, are people of color. And that's really it. I feel like I have to go seek that information because a lot of people don't give them a platform, a larger platform or give them a voice. And 
I have to go seek it when really we should be talking about it. We should be yelling loudly. We should be demanding a change. We should be doing a little more or at least opening this conversation up on a larger scale. But we're not. So (sighs) I wanted to talk about the questions we need to ask ourselves after reading these statistics. And that is, what are the socioeconomic disparities between white people and people of color in America? This is genuinely my own original question to you because, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get deep here because it's so important. It all starts, and I'm going to use America because that's where I live. That's where I'm consuming this information. That's where these studies were done. Um, So if you're in a different country, I apologize. I don't know your situation, but today I'm going to talk about America. I can, this issue is not just in America and I could totally talk about other countries, but I would need to do my research and, you know, make sure that I'm coming at you with facts, but I know these facts. In America, it starts with the education system. It starts with economic inequality. It starts with an economic gap. Okay, so now we have this economic gap from this history of segregation and racism. So now we know that people of color, especially black people in America, grow up, um, they don't have as much as many assets, as much wealth as a white person does, and that is embedded in the history, and that's a result of segregation. So we start there. So now we get these this racial divide, whether you want to admit it's forming or not, and it goes into, they live in poor conditions. So people of color suffer from an education. They don't get as well of an education as a wealthy higher class neighborhood, which is more white people than it is people of color. So then we go there. So that means reading. That means writing. That means a lot of us where we learn our passion for reading and writing in school. Well, that's kind of dependent on the school system and the teachers that we had and the educations that we're giving to people. Okay. So then we go there. And so now we go to college and, you know, that's another thing is, um, schools who are in a wealthier district with a better education, you're, the kids there are going to be more likely to get into college than the kids in lower class schools. And even if those lower class like neighborhoods who had worse schools get a scholarship, they might not be all the way prepared. And that's not their fault. The education system failed them. And they could have gotten A's in that school. They could have tried their best. They could have tried their hardest. But the system failed them. We failed them. The history failed them. We have failed to address it properly. It is a crisis. It is an issue. And so now we get to the fundamentals of reading and writing could be different. We get into, you know, like a wealth disparity. We get into, are you going to go to college to kind of get this degree that you need to be an English major, that you need to be a creative writing major, that you need to have these skills to publish a book, and they they might not be all the way necessary, but I think it's pretty undeniable. You get an advantage when you do go to college, whether it's that degree that looks better to publishers and um, to people who want to help you edit your books and stuff like that, whether it's that, whether it's the professors helping you make connections to other publishers, you can absolutely, if you get in good with your professor and they have connections and they see potential in you, that's, you know, that's an asset right there. That's a mentor right there. And that's something that someone who isn't in college is less likely to have. Like you have these connections. And so it's so deeply rooted. And then we have to address the fact that now 
we get into an industry, like we worked our way up, you know, from the very beginning of life and the failures in the system itself. And now let's say you don't go to college and now you want to submit your work to these publishing industries that are mostly white people who don't understand or majority of them don't want to acknowledge this economic disparity between the two, or they might not even know. It's just pure ignorance. It's nothing intentional, but people still suffer from it. And now you're forced to abide and go to an industry of people who are in charge of whether or not you get book deals and you're publishing and all of that who don't look like you, don't resonate with you, don't know your history, don't know your background, don't know. Because I don't care what you say. Like, yeah, absolutely. We should love everyone regardless of race, but we all have cultural differences. We all have different experiences, whether it's good or bad, intentional or not. A black person in America has a different experience, has a different culture, has a different background than a white person in America. And that is because we have failed to address on so many levels. Now you get to this publishing industry where once again, you kind of feel like the token, the odd one out or the black sheep. And I mean, and then what? You go to these author clicks like we talked about earlier and other authors are being racist towards you or being disrespectful towards you or making jokes about you, talking bad about you. Like there's, it's just fails from every standpoint and we have to want to do better. So I really want you to think about like, go deep, think about the beginning, think about the roots because there's statistics to back all this up and you know that. Um, yeah. So I want you to think about exactly the access to education, the quality of ed- education. For example, there are so many different factors like, okay, a lot of people of color because of this economic disparity live in lower class neighborhoods. So they go to a school with that doesn't have a good quality of education. And not only that, but they don't even feel safe at school. They don't feel comfortable. So they weren't able to have the same experience as school as a kid with more wealth was or a kid with white privilege was. And that's the reality. I am not going to argue about it, <laughs> but it is something to think about. It's food for thought. And if you have questions about it, if you have a discussion about it, I'm open. I am here. My DMs are always open. My blog is open. My comments are on. Like, I am here for you. If it's just a heated argument where you're going to tell me I'm completely wrong at this point, I'm not open to that because um, I know that I'm not wrong. I know that I'm not wrong because I've sat there and I've kept my mouth shut and I've looked at the statistics and I've listen, I've learned from professors, I've learned from people who actually have these experiences. I've heard, you know, I am a biracial person, but I've heard, you know, people of color who've had a much harder experience than I will ever know. And I've sat here and I've done the work and I've done the research. So I know that I'm not wrong. But if you don't want to acknowledge that, that's, you know, that's your right. But yeah, I'm not willing to have conversation if you're just going to tell me I'm wrong. Okay. So yeah. Are you able to afford college? That's another thing to think about. And yeah, so once again, I acknowledge this is a very American-centric point that I'm making right here, this kind of tangent that I'm going on, but it's so important and I feel the need to speak on it because this is the country I live in. This is the country where I you know, support a lot of American authors and I support anyone of any country, I really do, but uh, just the people that I come into contact, you know, like this is where I live. This tends to be um, where I buy my books from. So, all right. So let's just acknowledge this is an issue. So 
Diversity and inclusion is an issue we are lacking in the writer space, so let's end this podcast by talking about what do we do about it. Number one, we support POC authors. Like I said earlier, we buy their books, we leave good reviews, we do book reviews on videos on Instagram, we recommend them to our friends. And also, as a quick tangent (laughs) from me, especially when it comes to Black history and Black people and Black people's work and their entertainment, um, we don't always have to monetize and profit off of Black trauma. We don't always have to talk about Black trauma. There are other things. There is a very wonderful, happy, beautiful culture and history of Black people where we can have fun. It doesn't always have to be (laughs) this super painful degrade like story about the degrading and humiliating past of black people um in america thank you for listening um and then i went way deep in this because like i said i'm getting heated but i mean it why like let's talk about scholarship programs for poc authors and i'm sure that they're out there and i'm sure that they exist so like let's look into it let's boost it let's talk about it more three i'm always going to say this for any issue like this policy changes When you see an opportunity, whether it's in your local government, whether it's in the federal government, to make a change, to vote in a direction that helps this issue, to attend a peaceful protest, if you are comfortable with that, to make a donation, um, do that. When those call of actions come, do that. Support that. Of course, like, you know, I understand if you don't want to go anywhere because you don't feel safe or, you know, you have health conditions and I'm never going to bash someone for doing something that you know, they're completely uncomfortable with, but there are ways that you can support uh, when these call to actions present themselves and you need to find a way. And so do not support racist books or authors. Yeah. Like I said, I don't feel the need and I hope no one else feels the need. You shouldn't. If you listen to this podcast, do not feel the need to go in anyone's DM, message anyone, anything nasty, anything hateful. Um, you know, even the authors that I mentioned who are part of this, it was horrific. It was unfortunate. It was gross. But our, you know, retaliation against that needs to just be, okay, I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to follow your social media accounts. I'm not going to give you attention. I'm not going to mention your name besides this. Um, I'm not going to buy your books and that's it. And that's where I stand because I don't condone your actions. And even if you do change, you are capable of change. It's not going to happen in a day. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm not saying these people are completely incapable of change. Maybe not. Maybe I'm not even saying never buy their books, but it's going to take a long time before you can show me I want to see a consistent change in a pattern of behavior. And if you can't do that, I'm not buying your books. That's where I stand. There's so many other authors who aren't racist, who don't bully people that I could support. And you know, that's where your actions get you. Take accountability. So, yep, that, okay. And then I want to end this with, it's, don't be embarrassed. You might have had this questions. How do I make my characters more racially diverse? Maybe you're embarrassed, like you don't, I've heard people say like they don't want to come across def- offensive in their descriptions when they describe a person of color, someone with a different skin tone. And, you know, that might expose the prejudice, but just it's like confront it. Do the work. It's okay to ask stupid questions. Like it's okay if it's embarrassing. As long as you push forward and you're always trying to continue to grow, we can have this discussion here and have a talk. And I will try my best to, 
you know, give you legitimate technical advice for how to accomplish some of these things because it's difficult. Maybe you're embarrassed. Um, so number one, research. So read articles about other people's experiences. Talk to your friends. But I caution you to understand that not all of your friends, especially your friends, um, your POC friends, want to answer your questions. We're tired of answering people's questions. We're tired of being a 24-hour resource center for people who don't want to understand racism. And if you're, don't let that shut you down though. It's just, hey, maybe that friend is a little tired. Maybe they're a little burnt out. I have seen people like post posts on Instagram talking about like things like this, like how you could write a more diverse character. And they will say in their comments, if you have any questions, please DM me. Like I'm letting you know right now uh, for this topic for you guys, I'm always open. You can always DM me. So kind of look to see if you can see anything at first. If people are inviting you in, that's totally acceptable to ask these questions in that case or just preface it like, hey, would you mind? I want to write this book or I have this topic in mind and I just want to know, can I pick your brain and ask you a few questions about da 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 da, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, it could be so many different things. Um, would you mind? And if they're like, yes, I would mind. Okay, totally understand and move on. Don't make a big deal about it. Also, don't get your feelings hurt. You're not doing anything wrong. It's okay. Um, and then, yeah, so it's okay. Just be respectful. And, oh, my God, if they recommend you a book, read it. <laughs> so I know I have um, – sorry, I'm getting distracted. I have a black friend, and when everything was happening in 2020, it's still happening. Pay attention, but whatever. Uh, with the George Floyd protests, like, initially in 2020 – and her white friends would come to her, she was she would just recommend the books. She would just spout off book recommendations because she was tired. She didn't want to answer questions, but they were excellent books. And you so could have, like, I hope the, those people that she recommended them to genuinely took her up on it. So if your POC friend recommends you a book to read, read it. It'll probably help you to learn someone else's lived experiences. So describe your characters thoughtfully. The biggest just example I have for this so if you're talking about a black person's skin, don't compare it to food. We don't want to hear about their chocolatey skin. That goes back to how we were talking about earlier, about that fetishization and that objectification of minorities. That's a, that's a big no-no. Right off the bat, I can tell you that. And, like, it's okay. Let's talk about there are different shades of brown. Not every black person is the same shade of brown. So don't be a victim of this systematic prejudice and racism when you're defining things like their hair. You know, when you define a black person's hair, what words are you using? Are you using nappy in a bad way, in a demeaning way? How, like, what is your intention behind the words that you're using? Like, kinky isn't necessarily a bad word to define hair, but how are you describing it? Because I think a lot of the times when we see black people's features defined they're either objectified or they're completely demonized. So you really want to have intention. And um, there are so many articles, genuinely. If you look up, like, I'm trying to write a character of color, they're, they're literally, there's one, because uh, I couldn't think of a word <laughs> for a certain shade. I was totally blanking. They broke down different shades of brown for skin tones. And this didn't just go, this was for people of color in general, not just black people. And they had specific words that you could use that were adjectives that didn't relate to food or objectification or anything like that that you could use. It's out there. It's for free. It's accessible. It's extensive. Like this knowledge that people are sharing with you guys, 
Use it. Take people up on that and don't be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed if you have these questions, you realize you have these prejudices, and you don't work on it. That's embarrassing. If you're trying to work on it, you're trying to figure out a way, that's not embarrassing. Just listen to people when they tell you something and, you know, try to help yourself. Don't always depend on other people to hold your hand and teach you everything. Do some Googling, do some research, and take people up on that free content and advice that they're giving you. Um, Okay, so I just want to end this with a couple of points, main points. It's not just racial diversity that is needed. I know I can talk about, like, I am, like I said before, I'm a biracial female. I am bisexual, so I can talk about that. However, I'm a cisgender person, so, you know, when someone tells me, um, their experiences or books that they want me to support or transgender authors that they support, I'm going to be quiet, hear their experience out, and always give my support, always be a good ally. And I just want people of those communities to know whether you are non-gender conforming, whether you are proudly transgender, whether you are, no matter what, like sexual orientation, no matter what gender identity you fall on, no matter what, I want you to know that I understand that you are poorly represented too. You are absolutely failed, not represented correctly. And also, as a quick side note, now that I'm thinking about this, when you write characters of different um, sexual orientations and gender identities, don't fetishize them either. <laughs> oh my God, stop doing that. I know like bisexual people are tend to be stereotyped as they're just confused or they're just super flirty and promiscuous because they just want it all. Like... These are the types, there are prejudice, there are stereotypes in every single minority group when it doesn't just come to race. I know that you guys are underrepresented and I'm calling for people to educate themselves in every single aspect because this issue goes so wide in the writer space and the characters that we write and in how accepting and inviting and the safe haven that we give to other people. Um, oh yeah, and so my last advice is Get someone of the minority group you wrote about to read your work before you publish it. Once again, you know, ask this question with tact and respect to whoever you're asking. Um, I know like my friend was super excited. She was Native American. I say was, sorry. It's just been so long since we talked. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I mean. She's just an old friend and she's Native American. And my friend was writing a story for creative writing in school. It's like high school. And was like, okay, well, I wrote this story. Well, you read it. She read it and was like, this is offensive. This is inaccurate. Like, things like using, um, oh, my God, I'm totally going to blank. Like, uh, headgear and dream catchers and, like, things like that. Using it completely out of context. Saying, like, like I said before, all tribes have different, um, like, cultural norms and things like that. And you, like, one size doesn't fit all Native American tribes and cultures and customs and where they come from is so different and we owe it to ourselves to be respectful and do our research and listen to our friends. But it was awesome because that friend was able to help my other friend constructively and be like, okay, this is wrong, but this is why it's wrong. Here's who you should look up. Here's the resources. Here's the tribe name. If you actually want to do a realistic, uh, accurate portrayal of this tribe that you're talking about so and in the end she stuck with it and got it done and learned a lot along the way a lot of us did because you don't learn this stuff in school especially if you're in America we don't learn in school and so I don't want to embarrass anyone I don't want to call anyone out 
this podcast wasn't made to like humiliate and demean the authors who were caught up in this controversy, but we've got to talk about it. We can't stay quiet about it anymore. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I really wanted to try my best to come to you with some legitimate examples that you can't deny that are mainstream that a lot of us have probably seen. I want to give you articles you could read. I want to reference statistics so you know I did my research. You know where this stems from. I'm going to talk about the social issues, like the socioeconomic, the socioeconomic disparity, where this all stems from. And then, like I said, I always want to end with a call to action. I think it's I can't stand when people get people like really riled up about an issue and they don't tell them how they can like what they can do about it. I think that's so important if you're going to discussion discuss an issue. Because, like, especially I'm someone who has anxiety (laughs) disorder. Um, And so, like, I think about these things all day. So I want to be told, like, here's this issue and here's what you can do about it. Here's how you can have power and control to go help. I don't just want to, like, fill your head with these fear tactics and scare you and say you're not doing well enough. That's not it. I'm just saying, like, we all owe it to each other to hold each other accountable, um, to always grow, to always do our research not get complacent. And there, there's our call to action. There are questions we can ask ourselves. There are physical actions that we can take. Here's how we can alter our writing. Here's how we could look for new authors to buy from. So yeah, uh, this will not be the last podcast I do about uh, diversity and inclusion and the issues about it because it's not going away. And for as long as it does not go away, I will be here to talk about it. But you know, this is it for this week. This is the end of this. I'm good now. Um, And next week, I will be back on Wednesday. And I will be talking about um, that toxic romantic plot that has been, honestly, now that I think about it, I know I've personally witnessed it in mainstream media since I was in middle school. We've got to talk about it. We've got to address it. Um, In books like Twilight, books like Fifty Shades of Grey, that fan fiction that was made into a movie about Harry Styles, which is technically not about Harry Styles, but what was it called? Like later, after, whatever. Um, we, we're going to talk about it next week, next episode. I'm going to take, you know, I'm not going to continue this conversation next week, but we could continue it the week after that. For as long as this issue persists and as long as I see ways that we can help ourselves and For as long as I see issues happening, I will call it out. I will talk about it on this podcast. And I will always try to be constructive, try to be fair, try to give, you know, if I talk about a specific person like I did at the beginning, try my hardest to give their side of it. And also try to give call to actions and try to help you guys with legitimate techniques that we could use. Because that's what I love about AJ's Creative Corner. That's what I love about this blog is I get to actually help you guys come up with real technical solutions to your writing issues or things like this. So thank you guys so much for listening to this week's podcast. Go check out my blog called ajscreativecorner.com or you can check out my Instagram called ajscreativewriting where I post my poetry, I post fun uh, tips for writers, I post an IGTV video uh, the other day. Super awesome content. I love engaging with you guys. Please always feel free to email me, to comment, to message me, ask me about my podcast, ask me if you have any questions about this one in particular, because I love starting this conversation. All right. Thank you guys so much, and I will see you in next week's podcast.